Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're tuned in to The Show on the Road, a music discovery podcast where I interview songwriters, band leaders, and artists from around the world. My name is Zach Lubitin. This week, we feature an intimate conversation I had with a revered Danish pianist, experimental composer, and atmospheric folk songstress now based in Berlin, who for the last 10 years has quietly made five stunning self-made records that seem to create a twisting technicolor backdrop and a soaring score to movies that maybe only exist inside her restless, roving mind. Songs that defy language and genre and instrumentation, music that has brought her from playing small clubs in her native Copenhagen to selling out massive concert halls across Europe, and now the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, I bring you Aunus Obel. So I've been in California now for over 12 years, and every time I drive through Hollywood, the first thing I see in the distance is that iconic Capitol Records building, that 13-story stack of what could be stone vinyl discs waiting to be spun by some DJ in the sky, and that jaunty point at the top. It was completed in 1956 and dubbed the house that Nat built, because their star at the time, Nat King Cole, sold so many records they needed to show off a little bit in Tinseltown with the tallest, showiest building there ever was. This place is dripping with history. The Beatles used to hang out on the roof. Sinatra used to make his big band records with those echo chambers booming in the downstairs studio. And while I've always wanted to go inside, I never had the chance. So I was pretty surprised when I got the invite to talk to Aunus inside that holy building. Why? Well, her newest record, Myopia, was released in the States by Blue Note Records, which has an office inside there. And as the guard waved me through the gate and I started to walk around the building, I started questioning why would a historically avant-garde jazz label like Blue Note release the work of a mysterious Danish piano player and singer-songwriter? It makes no sense, and yet it makes perfect sense. Was not jazz the fearless art that no one could categorize when it came out in the early part of the 20th century? What is the jazz of our time? What is the art that's changing everything now? Music that makes us squirm a little bit, makes us uncomfortable, and makes us want to know more about ourselves. Look, if there is one thing about this crazy year that I've learned, it's that there is so much more that I need to learn. So much I didn't know about our history, where we come from, and how we got here. How the music we love and the movies we adore are shaped by our subconscious biases and our hidden choices and our parents' place in the world and our grandparents and what they dance to around the jukebox. 
and you wonder if those choices and those cravings are need for four-to-the-floor beats and western arpeggios and perfect fifth harmonies and the relentless returning to the five chord to resolve, to resolve, to always resolve so there is never any unease or ominous ambiguity. You wonder if our music tastes are passed down like genetic code. Do white folks always lose their mind to electric guitar music like Dave Chappelle joked in that famous skit with a young John Mayer? Yes, classic rock is my comfort food. It's easy, and it's palatable, and it's fun, and it doesn't challenge me at all. How did I learn about the blues, and about jazz, and about black music? Why, through the long-haired white kids who were playing the blues in rock and roll bands, the Allman Brothers, and Cream, and the Stones, and the Beatles, stacks and stacks of hits that were built upon the backs of black musicians and songwriters that never, ever got their due in popular culture until much later, sometimes after they were already dead and gone. Have I listened to much hip-hop or house music or examined the differences between Kendrick Lamar and Nas and Atmosphere? No, I really haven't. And it's taken this month of reckoning of being in the street with young folks of all colors and creeds and listening to new music and realize how someone as enlightened and educated and open-minded as I thought I was is still stuck deeply in my own biased patterns and comfort zones, still afraid to listen to music that makes me deeply uncomfortable, music that doesn't resolve, that doesn't lead me by the hand, music that scares me. And why haven't I taken more sonic leaps? Why haven't I looked beyond my folky AF playlist that I play over and over and over again? What is that fear? I don't know, but I want to find out. When I first heard Agnes Obel's transcendent self-created masterwork Philharmonics a decade ago, I knew I had stumbled into a portal I needed to open. I didn't normally like music like this. Hushed, open-ended, like classical music turned sideways in a tattered church, and yet I needed to hear more. Obel's albums warrant focused repeat listening to fully understand and appreciate them. And after listening deeper before I met up with her to talk, I realized it is often hard to know exactly what instruments are even playing at any given time in her songs. Is that her fingers fluttering on the piano? Or is it a flock of birds taking off? Maybe it changes depending on my mood. Is that a cello or a double bass or a growling beast in a dark cave? Sometimes we don't even know if the singing that is recorded is even human in origin. If you listen to her song Island of Doom, you'll see that Obel is a master at creating aching, pitch-shifted choirs of sound with just her voice and the percussive rhythm of her breath. At times, the daring, looping piano and quicksilver string work seems like a chamber orchestra that is having fun after hours in an old bar. But deep down, it is the uncertainty of her music that I love the lack of clean, smoothed-out edges, the closing of loose ends that make her songs shine. I don't know how they got there. I don't know how they were created, and I love not knowing. Towards the end of our conversation, Obel tells me just how important it is that she create things alone. She is a deeply solitary writer. And during her early career, she never actually dreamed that she would be playing live at all or having anyone listen to her songs on a mass scale. But here she is, in the temple of jazz and pop and rock and roll, where the Beatles would hang out. And somehow, it all makes sense. Maybe we don't really know how we ended up here. When was the last time you really challenged yourself? Made yourself listen to an entire album, top to bottom, where you couldn't understand the words? You couldn't follow the storyline? You couldn't identify what instruments were playing? And you had no idea if this music would ever make you feel safe or okay? Maybe on the other side of always feeling safe 
is actually feeling free, being free. Making music, singing with her own voice, playing with her fingers on that piano, hearing her own sound blossoming into the air. That's what makes Agnes Obel feel real, feel herself. Feel like for one moment in time, she is dictating her own destiny. And maybe I never realized it, but that's why I make music too. Anyway, I'm so glad you could be here to take this journey with me. So strap in, we're gonna take a little ride with Aunus Obel. We were just talking about how memory can be a fickle thing when you've played all over the world for 10 straight years. Because I first saw you right down the street at the little McCabe's guitar shop, Mm -hmm. surrounded by all the instruments. I think it was you and a cello player. Mm -hmm. And you had no idea that you had played that show until (laughs) 30 seconds ago. (laughs) Also back then, I don't think I knew... I had to play a show. I was completely inexperienced with playing live, mm. so and uh, so I didn't. I didn't have, even have a schedule for the shows we had to play, so I actually didn't know. Mm. Uh, it was very. It was actually quite chaotic period of touring. There was no tour manager, no sound engineer. Yeah, pretty DIY. Yeah, but there was something magical about that show that made me follow along with your journey. You know, and we're here in the Capitol Records building high above Hollywood. And that's an awesome thing that I think your music that has this atmospheric, almost classical, anti-pop bent (laughs) can be supported by a place that is known to bring, I think, American pop music to the world. You know, then again, your new record, Myopia, will be out on Blue Note Records, which is a jazz, you know, record label. At least that's what they're known for. So it's almost like you're you're covering all bases, like your intro. Yeah, I know exactly how I feel. I feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of surreal. And I talked to uh, sort of the boss of Blue Note, and he told me he had even noticed the, that first album mm. ten years ago, Philharmonics. Uh, it's pretty cool. But yeah, I I can't explain anything. I I still feel like I just sort of it just sort of happened. Uh, without, I don't know. You say at that time you weren't even used to touring and playing live. What made you sort of start to bring it to the world? So I think I'm very much driven by wanting to make albums. Mm -hmm. And and Philharmonics, my first album, was in a way a collection of all the songs I'd written through my 20s and also my teenage times, all the way back to Mm -hmm. elementary school. And uh, I knew if I didn't record them, on this album, I would forget them and mm. they would be lost. So I that was sort of my main ambition for that album. And then, of course, I hoped I would find a label afterwards and somebody would release it. And I, I managed to find one. It took me two years to find one. I couldn't. Nobody would sign me. And then that album was released and suddenly 
it turned out I had to tour. I had never thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. And I did not know. It's like a totally different world. You have to... It's a different thing. You have to create the, the songs, replay them live with other people because mm-hmm. there's more than piano and most of the songs also on the first album. And you you have to think about sound and technical stuff and and getting there and knowing about it and mm-hmm. being prepared and having a visa like very yeah. important if you want to go over here. Um, yeah, America is not super friendly or easy for European artists to come. Uh, no, it's I I also didn't know about that, and uh, we've had. We're super happy once you're here. Yes, <laughs> but until I hear it's uh, expensive. Yeah, yeah. It, I, yeah, it is. Whereas we can kind of just go over to Denmark, yeah, and they're like, "Come on down." <laughs> there's yeah. no, there's, they don't even care. They don't check any papers at the border besides your yeah. passport. We all could say it unf- it's unfair, but that's so much amazing music from the U.S. So in a way, I'm happy that uh, that there isn't. I, I would just wish that it wasn't so expensive here <laughs> and so hard. But I think as soon as you've gotten it a few times, it becomes easier. At least mm-hmm. yeah, they prove it quicker. But um, yeah, so I didn't know anything about that, uh, and I did most of the touring just with a cello player for that album. Mm-hmm. Also in Europe, like I remember, we were playing sold out concert halls and we we're knocking on the door, and they didn't believe it was us. It was gonna yeah. play there, <laughs> so it was really DIY. Yeah, and where's the rest of the band? Yeah, exactly. Where where's the sound engineer and what is going on? You know, and we had like huge amounts of food because they thought there would come a huge crew and everything yeah. you know it was just two people yeah. <laughs> trying to drink i don't know 100 beer 100 <laughs> co- cokes and beers i remember that cello player being incredible yeah does she still work with you well she doesn't but she works solo her name is anna Müller. did you meet her in berlin yeah that's where you're based yeah yeah i'm based in berlin but i'm from copenhagen in denmark mm. what was your upbringing like musically and i know i think your mom was musical yeah, actually, it was a little bit more my dad. Mm. Um, my mom played piano and still plays piano, but it's not like she took it so seriously, <laughs> I think. But my dad was professional for a couple of years when he was young. Mm. Um, and he played jazz guitar. And mm. was very, as a, so he's not here anymore, but he would be over the moon if he knew I was signed to Blue Note. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When was what was the last time he saw you play? I guess it must have been Copenhagen. He lived in Copenhagen. Mm. Um, it was a concert house in Copenhagen. Mm. Yeah, such a beautiful city. I was able to visit um, a couple times over the last few years, and uh, we're always struck by <laughs> the Danish audiences how they clap completely in unison <laughs> at the end of every song. It's, it's, yeah, I know the good things about touring Scandinavia and I also know the less good things it's, it's like how it is everywhere There's like the PA systems are always incredible and the, the sound levels uh, is just incredibly high in, in Denmark and Sweden and so forth but then sometimes you can feel like the audience is maybe a little bit controlled or disturbed yeah. if you come if you just come from a show in Spain for example yeah where you're like it's just a completely different mentality do people attempt to dance to your music? Because I would like to see that. <laughs> it depends on the room. Yeah. But it it has happened, not in Denmark. Yeah. Um, but it, uh, I think in Poland and in Spain. But it's also if it's a standing venue and it's and has a nice sort of intimate atmosphere, then 
people will move. Yeah. But dancing, I wouldn't really call it dancing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I would say, you know, you fall into this interesting subcategory of American pop music that, not that you're from America, but that, that it's becoming part of the pop music atmosphere that is accepted mm-hmm. that people will go see at, at huge concert venues. Uh, Jose Gonzalez is an example, I think. You know, people that have these atmospheric, poetic shows that you're mm-hmm. absorbing the whole sonic tapestry mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, listening to your new record, I was trying to find the patterns that tied these songs together because a lot of them are instrumental. Some of them are almost spiritual in their <laughs> content. You know, it feels like there's these chants and these drones, uh, especially this song, yeah, Promise Keeper. Oh, yeah. And there's this, is there a high, almost a harmonium that's that's droning or, or yeah. a, a chime that's... Yeah, I think actually it's my voice that I pitched up. I made like a sort of an organic synthesizer out of my voice. So, yeah. I don't know. It's, for me, uh, what sort of connects this, the songs on this album is um, maybe the state of mind that I have been in or I tried to create uh, for myself when I made the album. So it's very sort of self-referential in a way, and I totally understand if it's not really clear for anybody else than me. But I wanted to to make an album about my mind and how I am aware and sometimes not aware that it plays tricks on me and I can't trust it. Mm. And um, you should talk about the doubt and the, you know, sort of maybe losing faith and trying to find it again in some form. Yeah, but even my emotions and... Uh, I think that's why I have to work alone. I, I get very affected by other people's emotions mm. to a degree that I suddenly am not really sure if it's mine or theirs that I'm feeling. Yeah. And um, Overly empathetic? Yeah, but that sounds like I'm like thinking so much about other people. I'm also <laughs> yeah. not like that, you know, but I just, I just, I don't know. And it's actually a problem for me. So that's why I work mm. alone. It's not like I'm like... I, I love being together with other people, but if I want to sort of get my own idea out, I, I have to shut myself off because I would I would tune too much into somebody else's mm. uh, thing. Yeah, I have I have at some point here in my life when I look back, I can see so many decisions I've made where I thought it was me who made the decision, but I realized it was the circumstances making the decision. Mm. So more and more doubting my own free will and actually everybody's free will. I think we are mm. such, our, our minds are so uh, malleable and, and I think it's good to be aware of it and it's good to investigate it and, and then that's what I try to do in different ways. line in, in Promise Keeper, the game of numbers will take us under. <laughs> it almost feels like, yeah, everyone's place in the probability of fate mm-hmm. feels like it's our own yeah. choice, but is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. We're so 
dependent on where we came from, what our parents did, where they chose to put us in school, what we fell in love with when we were 12 years old. You know, so much of the stuff that we love and that we do now comes from these tiny seeds that were planted along the way. Totally. And and then we write our own narratives in our heads and say, oh, then that happened and then I made that decision to go to that college or do that or whatever. But it it is a story we, uh, or even the people we fall in love with and stuff like mm-hmm. that, it's, it's, I really believe it has a lot to do with circumstance. Mm-hmm. Like if you're under stress and like, for example, when I know a lot of people make movies, mm-hmm. there's always these people always fall in love with somebody they normally would never fall in love with, but that's sort of an extreme example. But yeah. I think there's a lot of things like that uh, where you, your own emotions, you, if you, yeah, you can't really trust them. And I think, uh, I think it's always good to just know that it's not like written in stone or it's not like a, a final truth, what you're feeling or thinking. And you have to know, you have to be able to step back for even your own thoughts and reconsider them because they might just be a product of your social, psychological, but even chemistry, like, mm. as if we barely know what consciousness is, actually, as mm. a, what constitutes consciousness. And still we talk about things like it's certain, like even talk about music, like, oh, this is good and this is bad. We don't know what music is. Mm. It is sound waves mm-hmm. that is affecting our nervous system. Mm. So I'm not criticizing doubt with this album. I'm I'm actually okay with it. Yeah. But, uh, uh, as a fundamental part of experiencing things from many perspectives. Well, I think that there is a comfort for me in the idea that we don't know what's really happening if we're governed by some overall benevolent force or if we're just alone (laughs) in our own rivers of decision, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. And, and the whole world has literally been trying to figure that out for centuries. Exactly. And they still don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then I think in our culture, there's an overemphasis on the individual. And mm-hmm. we really believe the individual is in, is a master of their own fate. And uh, well, Especially here in the States. Yeah, I think it's even more. But it's certainly also like that in, in, in Europe and... Um, and uh, I'm not sure about that. I'm not even sure that it, I really made a decision that, I, mm. I, that I'm sitting here today. Like when I had to explain mm-hmm. what happened from the guitar shop till, till here, I cannot really come with a... It would, I would may, maybe make up a story, oh, that, that happened. But if I'm honest, I, I don't know. It's probably a bunch of accidental things that happened and uh, I will never really know. Somehow the sound waves that you put into the universe brought you from a tiny guitar shop <laughs> and then in the spring you'll be playing the Greek theater. That's a that is a magical thing. Absolutely. But it's also maybe this like very evil force you talked about before. <laughs> he really liked it. So he was like, okay, you're gonna no. <laughs> okay, so if it's not a be- benevolent force looking out <laughs> it's like, hmm yeah, but- this Obel lady, I'm gonna take her music. <laughs> I really make people really into it. Yeah, yeah. Make them crazy. Yeah. Let's talk about another song. Um, Ruskian, is that how you say it? The uh, Rosian. Kind of, Rosian. 
It's sort of, you know, it's an instrumental, uh, this piano reverie that is, again, sort of building from one seed of a note into this huge tapestry of sound. I'm going to keep saying that <laughs> until it makes sense. <laughs> but I was listening to a uh, a podcast earlier, this uh, amazing sound podcast called 10,000 Hertz. Um, oh, and he was talking about John Cage and how people used to actually buy sheet music to his famous song of silence yeah. <laughs> that you could actually go to the music store buy this song on sheet music for 50 cents yeah, of brilliant. like four minutes and whatever seconds of rest yeah yeah you know no yeah that is brilliant yeah but roshan means uh acting as far as i know and um i really like the word and in then, danish uh, in english i think uh roshan uh, I think it's from, or le- it's a Latin word. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe it doesn't. Famous for being an actor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but Russian for me, or acting, or the performance of acting, I felt like it was a funny thing to play around with in my mind when I had to write uh, music because, um, in many ways, I feel like um, that there's so many things that happen in our lives that it's just a product of that you're living up to the social expectation of behaving like there's a door you do like this with a handle you go through then you yeah, yeah. say hello and then you do, do, do pay or whatever and and the question is are you at all in contact with who you are are you just mm. responding to the world acting in a way performing the, the so-called life and for me I thought a lot about this and I feel like maybe music it sounds like very big but maybe music is uh, is when I'm n- the only part of my life where I'm really truly not acting mm. uh, of course there's some traditions within music I will follow and the scales and so on it's not like completely free like that but it's still uh, sort of a space I have where I feel like I'm outside of a lot of the conventions and also the old expectations I have to myself mm. um so in many ways, I feel like I'm more, I'm more myself in music than I can be in any other situation. Yeah, there is something about being fully present that maybe only music no. and and actually playing in front of people uh, and having them be present with you. Yeah. It's a unique thing in our distracted culture oh, yeah. these days. You know, yeah, very much. did most or all of the new record yourself, right? And there's this part on uh, Island of Doom mm-hmm. where you're pitching high and low sort of to create this whole chorus with yourself. Yeah, yeah. How did you record that and was it a lengthy process to sort of layer yourself and to find what worked? Yes, it was. Island of Doom became an island of doom for me. That song <laughs> was really a long because I changed the pitch of the song several times and I wanted to have a song, to make a song about uh, the connection you can have with somebody who's not alive anymore mm. and the feeling that the past is very much present in your mind. 
and I needed to find a way to to represent that musically uh, with my voice. So I was experimenting with the with the pitch shifter, and I felt the feeling that the past is speaking through you in the present. I felt it was very well represented with this very low voice, mm. but it's was basically just uh, trying out. I had written the song on piano before, but the details in this, uh, of the song came from the studio, from just experimenting and just feeling my f- way through <laughs> the dark in a way of like, when does it feel right? When does it resemblance how I experience it? listening to when you were recording this record that was maybe accidentally filtering into your brain I feel like my partner Alex he dictated very much what what we listened to um but I guess a lot of Leonard Cohen mm. and a lot of Al Green so mm. it's not <laughs> yeah if there's something that I definitely would expect from this record it's a lot of Al Green but we always sexy to- <laughs> Sexy funk. Yeah, Al Green is just yeah something we always listen to. It's just very nice music. But um, yeah, but I also listen to a lot of David Lang, mm. and he has some really wonderful choral pieces. And uh, I listen to Bulgarian choir music. Mm. So I've definitely been into sort of vocal music, a bit of Meredith Monk, and so yeah. I think this has been my main. <laughs> I listen a lot to David Bowie, but uh, and Prince, but I guess it's because they both recently have passed away. And I was a very big fan of Prince as a child, so mm. it was like revisiting old albums. What was the first album you remember listening to as a kid? Um, that really hit you. I played piano as a kid, so I the. The pieces I played on piano, I remember them, almost all of them. And this has been my main introduction to classical music. And I haven't really gone further, so I know ridiculously little about classical music. But I just know these pieces, these composers. And there I was, uh, Debussy. Mm. I played Claire de Lune and Du Arabesque. And these two pieces are, like, ingrained in me. I mm-hmm. play them awfully, but uh, I can play them. And then uh, as a Swedish uh, jazz pianist called Jan Johansson mm-hmm. which I maybe you know he's he's very his music very much part of Swedish music musical history because it, he took Swedish folk songs and played um, you know like Coltrane did favorite things and like mm-hmm. this, there was this this period where, where you took like more sort of popular music and yeah the pops into, into yeah. jazz and he did that with folk music mm and uh, made it come alive and for me that was music I, I I really connected to as a child because it was a little bit like fairy tales it, mm. was, it was like you could hear the the bear in the in the forest and uh, with the 
double bass, like doom, doom. And then you could hear another animal yeah. with the piano. Like it was so much storytelling because it's folk music he was basically playing. And it's very sim simple. It's mm -hmm. not like super dense. It's a lot of space. And, and this music has really affected me. And I think that's my main connection to folk actually is from Jan Johansson. He also did some albums with Russian music and Polish and Romanian folk music. Mm. And um, yeah, you must know this as a folk musician that sometimes you feel like folk music in a way is fam sounds similar all over the world. Mm -hmm. like there's a yeah. certain ancient well, history to it. That well, there's an accessibility to it where yeah. young, enthusiastic amateurs can pick <laughs> up a guitar in their grandpa's closet and actually start to really play and be a part yeah. of the tradition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you learn from listening to others and, and creating your own versions of what came before. Yeah. And for me, it's always like my imagination. And I love this when you hear a piano line and you sort of hear a little story. Mm -hmm. And I always try to, I, well, not always, but I have tried to do that. Like even have my voice and then have the piano answering like having this callback thing. Yeah, there was some of your songs that reminded me of the Peter and the Wolf suite. I love it, Prokofiev. Which I grew yeah. up with this book that had, you would turn the page and then it would play the next part with yeah. like oh. certain animals. Oh, cool. You know? Yeah, yeah. You have a song called Parliament of Owls. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, if the world were to be governed by a set of animals... <laughs> Who do you think would be the most fair and just? Oh, I think uh, underwater mammals would do the best thing because they have connected nervous systems. So they would think about each other and everybody else. You know? Congress of blue whales? Yeah, Congress of blue whales. It would be great, you know. And uh, in many ways, I think we used to be like that when we were underwater mammals. Mm. And that's why we still long for communal experiences and feeling of being connected either through music, but I guess many other ways. But uh, yeah, I don't know about owls. For me, actually, owls are pretty scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but they also, just that they can turn their heads and their eyes and they are night animals. And yeah, and I watched Twin Peaks when I was way too young. Okay. So that's this image of this owl are probably part of my association with that animal but also when I was a kid we my family rented the summer house full of uh, taxidermy animals mm. and there were taxidermy owls mm. and in the room I slept in even always looking at you exactly yeah. oh, and no no matter where I went in the room it would still look at me so uh, maybe that also fits into my thing with owls I guess if you were to hold a concert with your music in any sort of natural place, not in a concert hall, not in a venue, it could be anywhere in the world, where would it be, like in nature? I guess I would love to hear how it sounds in the woods somewhere. It's like there's noise everywhere mm -hmm. in our world today. Yeah. Cars and... Uh, but the, it's not quiet in the forest, it's... Uh, there's always a sound anyway, wind and leaves and um, trees. And it could be interesting to find a way to to use that space in a way where the music would fit in without it just taking over the whole thing. But also without it being like 
if you play completely acoustically, the sound would just sort of be swept away. So yeah, it's a good question. Um, Is there a favorite forest that you've walked through? Yeah, well, I have mostly experience with Swedish forest. I've mm. been there a lot, so I, I guess that could be pretty amazing to play a show deep in the forest in Sweden. But I've, I've, I also, I know there's a festival in Norway with the shows taking place in a cave in a mountain. And I would be interested to hear how it sounds to play inside a mountain. You know, play with that kind of reverb and um, loop the sound of, of, the, of a cave, you know. Mm. This is very old human experience of being inside a cave. Well, there was something about your, your pitch-bended choir that felt like it could have been sung by prehistoric proto-humans, <laughs> you know? And some of it, you know, you're, you're, you're mixing it in ways where it's not super clean or smooth. Like, with there, there's these jagged edges to the, the voices coming in and out. And I'm curious if you felt like you were trying to create a world in that, or was it trying to further the story of the song? I, th- I think um, it depends on the song. Very much the state of mind of the song I wanted to create. Honestly, so, the title track of the record has the voices almost used as percussion. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, huh, huh, you know <laughs> like yeah. we're marching through this cave system trying to find treasure or something. Yeah. As a myopia, that song was... Ah, it was actually coming from an irritation. Like, I was so annoyed at myself and how easily I get pulled into different thought structures or get pulled in by the internet. Or mm. Suddenly I'm just six hours later, like, get out of the rabbit hole of some crazy things that I just end up looking at on YouTube for so long time. Like, it's, I'm really afraid of it sometimes because yeah. I'm really, really caught by it. And uh, my intention is not very disciplined. And I also know there's an algorithm... Or algorithms out there to, that will detect what you're searching for and mm. then give you something that's the same thing but even more sort of dense, even more sort of intensified or ra- radicalized. So you slowly just become more and more yeah. myopic in your perspective. terrifies me. Uh, it, it terrifies me for myself, but also for everybody else, uh, because it's technology that's hijacking our, our psychology, mm. and it's made for that. And um, and that song is sort of about that experience and how it, it feels, how I've experienced it when it happens to me. 
and it's not 100% a pleasant experience. So I didn't want it all to be too pleasant in many ways. It's mm. And also the feeling that this alternative world we have, this parallel world, is driven by fury and frenzy and negativity. Like n- negative or dramatic things are clicked on much more than mm-hmm. other things. Yeah. Neutral things or post- positive things. And I just, uh, it's just, uh, it has effects on everything. Music journalism is what I experienced yeah. it with, but you also see it with everything else. And um, and I think it's it's scary. It's It has, and it's coming slowly. It's like a drip in our, mm-hmm. comes in slowly and, and take over our our everyday experience of life and what's important and what, who we are. Yeah. Well, it's like we don't remember what we were like before <laughs> our phones were <laughs> dictating what we were looking at all day long, yeah, you know? Yeah. That's true. And I, I remember when we got cell phones, they were huge. I, me and my friends were at this festival in Denmark. And I think we were only 14. I can't believe they allowed us to go there. But... Um, we had these huge cell phones with us because our parents were like, oh, we have to find you and yeah. remember how big they were. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a completely different world today. What is your guiltiest pleasure when you're traveling? Maybe it's falling into Instagram wormholes. Yeah, Instagram doesn't get me like that. It's For me, it's YouTube. Mm. YouTube is a huge power, and it can be completely random things, like yeah. subjects that are not relevant for me <laughs> and that I'm normally not interested in. Even, like, I'm not really into cooking at all. I still, everybody else's seems to be at this yeah. time. And I love eating, but I'm not really into cooking. But anyway, I got into this rabbit hole of how you could make... Uh, sort of a special kind of cake that I've never had. <laughs> yeah, it was like uh, it's like if it's made in a certain way, then I will watch it. It's, it's really hard for me. And then now it's like it's like macaron. You know these cakes? Like it's made of of nuts and sugar. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. I'm never gonna make it. It's, 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 <laughs> I don't know. Why, but now I know. And that was what I did last night, for example. Like because I had some time off. Like, yeah. Why did I do that? You know, I, before maybe I'll read a book and. So, yeah, I don't know. I have a guilty pleasure. It's definitely YouTube, I would say. Because, you you know, when you're from, you know, Berlin and you're based there and you have to come to the States more and more as you become more known, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, lo- that's a lot of travel. It's a lot of long yeah, flights, a lot of waiting, a lot of uh, restless nights. Yeah. You know, in that, that song that you have the beautiful video of um, about your insomnia. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Tell me a little bit about how you try to stay balanced during these intense international travel schedules. So I'm at the moment I'm traveling with a, quite a few pe- people. Like our band, we are four, mm. and there's a tour manager, and there's a sound engineer, and there's my husband is traveling with us too, and he's he is helping with everything. He's also the one who made the video for Broken Sleep, mm. and he's very involved with my sort of live setup. So I guess um, Alex and I, or my partner, we are always very focused on the music mm-hmm. and in a way trying to get the others to be more focused on the music. So that's that's what a lot of time goes by with. Um, like sometimes when I'm touring, I'm also mixing stuff mm. on my computer. And yeah, I feel like that's what keeps me sane is making music. Like if I just think about my next meal or 
like this I need something more yeah uh, to uh, I've had, I have had some tours where I, I didn't really I didn't have the possibility to work on anything or mm. or uh, just think about it and then I found it very hard and psychologically hard mm-hmm. because it feels like hours that has been wasted on mm-hmm. traveling and waiting mm-hmm. and doing promo um and I needed to feel I have a, I have this curse that I feel like I'm I'm wasting my time yeah and I, I I unfortunately also have it even with when I'm together with friends and family sometimes I can get it and it's horrible I try to keep it down but I get the sense that there's something that we're just sitting there and just eating and watching television or whatever <laughs> yeah. you know like what is, is this I could life? be creating something <laughs> yeah yeah I'm just wasting yeah, away but, yeah it's like I have sort of a music FOMO I don't know it's yeah a, it's so and it's it's not very nice I'm not very <laughs> proud of this I guess sometimes I have the expectation of life should be more mm. um, and I can become really annoying and restless and so I try to make sure I bring my music with me so I have mm. something to because then I feel like I'm not just wasting my life away and uh, before we uh, let you go back to your music I want you to present a song that we should hear on your new record. And if you can, tell us at least one verse and chorus of the lyrics. Like it's a poem. Like it's a poem? Since you can't, since there's no beautiful grand piano in this room at Capitol Records. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, music really got me into poetry. Uh, so, because I also had to write lyrics myself, so I had to sort of at least understand it a little bit. So, okay. So the very last song on the album is called Won't You Call Me? Mm. And I wanted to express the feeling of how time feels when you're in love. Mm. It feels, it's unlike other states Mm -hmm. because it feels stretched out. Mm -hmm. Like like everything else, time can feel very short, Mm -hmm. except when you're waiting. (laughs) But when you're in love, it's like hours are like months or years. Mm -hmm. Because you're waiting for this other person to contact you, mm-hmm. or yeah, and it's all about that. Some really a form of insanity and a perfect example of intense myopia, mm. because you're just on that thing. And then yeah, how is the lyrics? The second verse. So I want to sing to this person, imaginary person, that uh, <laughs> they uh, should call me. And I also, by the way, love talking on the phone, which is something that's really going out of fashion. I'm very sad about it. So I really want to <laughs> Do you still have a landline at home? I would love to have a landline, but no, I don't, but I really want to. That's one of my great big You can dreams. get one of those cell phone extensions that looks like an old payphone phone that, that connects into your... You know, when I was a kid in Denmark, we had like this phone. In my childhood room, I even had one. And I could listen to my parents talking to their friends. So it was exciting. And they didn't know. But anyway, so we had this red one and then there was this... You know, it's like a, a wheel at the bottom, bottom of yeah. the phone. So you, so it was, yeah, I was very Scandinavian. And uh, I want a phone like that at some point. And also we had like also these buttons on that, something very satisfying of touching that has a click sound. When yeah. you used to go out with a girl, at least in Chicago when I was growing up, you were boyfriend and girlfriend if you talked on the phone for hours a night. Yeah. You didn't actually even 
touch each other in any way. No, You're no. like in seventh, eighth grade. You would just go home and burn your ear to the side of this plastic phone. Yeah. For hours. I don't even know. What, what were we discussing? We were like 13, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it was around that time you also, that came in Denmark, came this phone, the Rinko uh, mobile phone, mm-hmm. which was, uh, so I, I think it was around that time I got one, but I don't think we were texting yet. It was still just talking. And th- that's what I love, you know? It's just, there's something else about hearing somebody's voice mm-hmm. than just getting a text. It's, you can sort of say, oh, all is fine, but you can hear in a voice what's actually going on mm. in a split second. There's so much infi- information in a voice, you know. So I'm missing that, and uh, um, thank God, I feel like in Denmark, people still talk a lot on the phone. Mm. It's just, it seems very strong here in North America, mm. not, with just texting, and my, and my North American friends never answer their phones very seldomly when I call <laughs> answer. So, yeah. Um, anyway, so the song, Won't You Call Me, is about how time is feeling stretched. And uh, the verse, the second verse says, No one knows what the devil did, what disguises hid from our eyes. So don't burn your fire for their sake. Miracles of fate. Got no enemy but time. Mm. So in a way, um, I want to remind the person not, not to care about what other people think and mm. and remind the person of the fact that we have limited time. And I feel when you're in love, you're very aware of time. Mm. As a, For me, when I make music, it also feels like sort of that I'm in love. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I feel also like time is so precious. And I become also very afraid of getting hit by a truck on my bike or something because it's like life becomes so precious because I want to finish it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and maybe that's what I'm actually just hunting all the time when I make music, this high, this rush of like, whoa, I have to back up my computer now. And so in maybe that song is also a little bit about that feeling.
I'm super glad we could uh, we could talk, and um, I'm really happy that people are getting behind your music all over the world, but especially here in the states where there's so much being thrown at us all the time, and sometimes something a little more poetic and atmospheric is what we need to process. <laughs> you know, a lot of times. I don't have any idea what you're saying in these songs, and I don't care. <laughs> but thank you so much. It's so thank kind you. of you. It's really sweet, and I enjoyed it very much, too. Big thanks to Miss Obel for talking with me. You can go to agnesobel.com. That's A-G-N-E-S-O-B-E-L.com. For her music and her tour dates, uh, her newest record, as we mentioned, is called Myopia on Blue Note Records. It is freaking fantastic please listen to it um she will be coming back to the states briefly if the internet is to be believed she is playing at pappy and harriet's in pioneer town that's uh, right outside la near joshua tree national park october 5th Ooh, it's a monday i'm gonna definitely drive out for that if i'm in town uh and october 11th she'll be playing at the aladdin theater in portland oregon and uh, next year she'll be going to toronto and boston and playing radio city music hall in new york April 20th of next year. Man, that's going to be really special. So please check her out if you can. She is a really unique live show. 
If you're curious what my gang Dust Bowl Revival's been up to, well, we are finally, slowly, safely getting together to play some music. If you're listening on release day, June 24th, tonight, we will be playing as part of the GoPro Mountain Games in Colorado. Virtually, of course, we'll be playing together at the Jam in the Van headquarters in LA, 7.10 p.m. Pacific time. You can watch us play a really cool set together. And our Suede Home Virtual Music Fest will be coming back in July. We just uh, finalized the third lineup, and man, it is really fun. There's going to be bands like the California Honey Drops, Amethyst Kia, Kinsey of the Wild Reeds, Joe Pug, AJ Croce, James McMurtry, Bobby Rush, Dom Flemons, Gabby Moreno, Cat Clyde, Luke Winslow King, Heather Maloney, and more. So please look out for that, dustbowlrevival.com. And as always, support the bands that you love when they can't tour. Maybe get a double purple vinyl on our merch site. We would be very grateful. Last but not least, I want to thank everybody who continues to listen to this show. You know what? If there's a band or an artist or a songwriter that is not on my radar that maybe would blow my mind wide open, go to our website, theshowontheroad.com, send me a little note, or go on our Instagram, showontheroadpodcast. I need to get out of my comfort zone, guys. We all do. Trust me. Anyway, that's it for me. Send us a review on iTunes. We would really appreciate it. And I'll see you uh, every other Wednesday until they stop me. The Show on the Road is hosted by me, Zach Lupiton, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Jacobs with support from the Bluegrass Situation team. If you love The Show on the Road, please leave us a review or rating over at iTunes.com slash show on the road. Tell your friends, and also be sure to check out BGS's ever-growing collection of podcasts up right now on the bluegrasssituation.com. The Show on the Road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lupiton. See you on the trail. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast.